The Golden Mike Podcast is presented by SeaDeck Marine Products. Find out about all of SeaDeck's amazing standard and customizable applications online at www.seadeck.com. That's S-E-A-D-E-K.com. And now, it's showtime. The official voice of Toad Water Sports for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated the industry's biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years of on-water experience, captivating charisma, and a command of his audience. Presented by Sea Deck Marine Products. It's the Golden Mike Podcast. With the noise of the North himself. Oh, yeah. Dano, the Mano. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Golden Mike Podcast, everyone. I'm the noise of the North, Dan Mano, coming to you from the sunshine capital of the world, Orlando, Florida. And for you all listening in cold climates, sorry about ya. But now it's time for some audio sunshine. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Lead Wake. Lead Wake ballast bags are a sleek and easy way to add extra weight to any of those tight and hidden spots inside your boat. Lead Wake ballasts come in multiple different weights, but my favorite are the 50 pounders. Lead Wake ballasts have been designed with Toad Water Sports enthusiasts in mind. You can quickly move Lead Wake bags around your boat to clean up any wake behind any boat. Find out more online at leadwake.com. Also, for the next month or so, you have a chance to win 500 pounds in lead wake ballast free. Just listen for all the details later on in this episode. If you can't wait till then, then head on over to leadwake.com right now and enjoy free shipping with any order inside the USA. We've got a good episode today for all you all. My guest is a longtime mentor of mine, JB, Jeff Barton. And for anyone not familiar with JB's name, trust me when I say you've probably heard his voice. JB is a longtime on-site announcer for some of the biggest wakeboard contests from the mid-late 90s for a decade plus after. JB transitioned from on-site to TV and now announces for some of Red Bull's biggest and most unique events around the world, including Air Race and Flugtag, well, just to name a couple... JB started his rise through media when he got his first inside the industry opportunity as editor of one of Wake's earliest in-print publications, which would eventually sort of turn into Alliance Wake magazine. You'll get to hear all about that coming up as well as some other fun stories with one of Wakeboarding's most interesting and enthusiastic and, well, influential figures. Hope you all like this one. It's got some history and it's told by a wake historian as well, no doubt. So I had my first weekend off from any sort of toad water sports this past weekend. I spent it here in Orlando and it was nice. I got to sleep in. I got to do some work around the house and, uh, well, tell you the truth, I kind of missed being on the road and I'm ready to get back at it. Well, I've got one more weekend off, and then I'm headed to the Philippines for the WWA Wake Park World Championships. It's going to be a lot of travel, but I'm excited to see that part of the world for my first time and well, to meet all kinds of new people and see all kinds of new riders. I did announce the final stop of the 2016 Malibu Boats Evolution Pro Series since the last episode. 
We were in Punta Cana, Dominican Republic for the Malibu WWA Punta Cana Pro, which was also the last stop of the WWA Wakeboard World Series and stop two of the WWA's Wake Park World Series. So the event included both boat and wake park. The boat contest was held at our all-inclusive resort in the Dominican called Al Sol. It was fun. Malibu and the WWA treated us quite finely to celebrate an awesome year between boat and cable and overall, I want to say over $100,000 was rewarded in Punta Cana with Massey Pifferetti winning his first major WWA event as a pro, Nicola Butler sweeping all three stops of the Malibu Evolution Pro Series, including the overall and the overall in the Women's Wakeboard World Series. So big weekend for Nicola. Tony Iacone took overall at the Evolution Pro Series, and Mike Dowdy won overall in the WWA's Wakeboard World Series. In Wake Park, an old friend of mine, Hayes Wheelis, who also happens to be one of the guys behind Nitro City in Panama. Well, Hayes opened up a beautiful new cable park in downtown Punta Cana. Real Action Daily, or Rad Wake Park, was off the hook. The sickest unit features in a brand new full-size Sessi Tech and two-tower uh, System 2.0, as well as an inflatable water park and blob jump. And Travis Pastrano was on hand to celebrate his birthday. Travis started the celebration by skydiving into the middle of the park with a few of his friends, including Brian Grubb. The actual contest was as crazy as you'd think it was going to be. The riding, well, it's next level, and I think we say that every time we see a cable event. Tom Fouché, showing that the old guy still got it. The legend won traditional cable, mixing his run-up with some gnarly tricks on the features, including a Pete Rose 540 off the uh, XL kicker, and of course, consistent, stylish air tricks at every corner. Gunther Oka continued his rip-tear of a season, winning the features-only category. Gunther also had a pretty solid showing in the pro boat semifinals and proved again he's more than just a cable animal. Well, just a reminder, the Golden Mike podcast is brought to you free twice monthly and is always available online at noiseofthenorth.com. To keep this podcast no charge to you, the listener, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the show, SeaDeck Marine Products, Performance Ski and Surf, Woodrow Sustainable Optics, Boulder Boats, GoPuck, Hungry Boards, SUP, Malibu Boats, C4 Belts, Rockstar Energy, and Leadwake. If you don't already do, please follow me, tag me, and tweet me on social media. On Instagram, about to break that 6,000 person follower barrier. Looking forward to that. If you don't already, please follow me, tag me, tweet me on social media. Find me on Instagram at Dano T. Mano, on Twitter at the Dano T. Mano, and at the Golden underscore Mike. And be sure to like the Golden Mike podcast on Facebook. Plus, you can always reach me through email anytime. Golden Mike at noiseofthenorth.com. Today's audio montage is brought to you by Malibu Boats. Go to MalibuBoats.com to check out the redesigned 22 and 24 MXZ from the hull to above the rub rail. This is a whole new boat and a whole new experience. This boat is all about versatility and trust me when I say this is a boat perfect for the entire family and your key to the perfect day on the lake. 
From wakeboarding to wake surfing, the 22 and 24 MXZ will cover all aspects of towed water sports and will never disappoint again. You can see the MXZ and the rest of the Malibu lineup at www.malibuboats.com. Today's montage is from Stop 4 of the Malibu WWA Rider Experience. We teamed up with Mark Portuando and his crew at the Wu-Town Wake Fest up in Northeast Worcester, Massachusetts for one of the biggest events of the summer and an impressive showing of athletes and wake enthusiasts. Fingers crossed I can head back up there again next year for what could be an even bigger contest and an even bigger party. Enjoy this week's audio montage, then I'll be back with Jeff Barton right here on the Golden Mike Podcast. Hey guys, it's Tara Mikasich, Malibu Pro Team Rider. We're out here in Worcester, Massachusetts for the Rider Experience East, Wu-Town Wake Fest, and just pretty much everything awesome in the Northeast. I'm Kyla Hendricks. I'm from Green Bay, Wisconsin, and I'm 11 years old. I am so happy to take first in the girls' division. Hi, I'm Jake Caster from Westford, Massachusetts. I won the Wu-Town Wake Fest in men's wake surf division. Hi, my name's Wade Stidham. From Columbus, Indiana, I'm 10 years old. I'm stoked to win junior boys in Eastern Regionals. I'm Kira Lewis. I'm from New Jersey. I'm 10 years old. I won the junior girls nine and under um, wakeboard division and the women's wake skate division. Hey, I'm Shanna Caselli. I'm 20 years old and I'm stoked to take the win in the amateur women's division. Hey, my name is Thomas Herman. I'm 13 years old. I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I just took first place in the boys division at the WWA Regionals Championships. Hi, I'm Nicole Portawando from Worcester, Massachusetts and I'm stoked to have taken the win in women's wake surf here at Wu-Town Wake Fest. Woo! Hey, this is Aaron Piemontese. I'm from Lake Apacog, New Jersey. I'm 26 years old. I just won men's two at the Wu-Town Wake Off. Woo! This Francisco Cabezas came up to Boston, took the win on Wake Skate. Where are you at now, Wake and Warriors? Hi, I'm Seth Witcherall, 35 years old. I won the Masters, so 30 to 39, and I also took second in Wake Surf. Hey guys, I'm Woody White. I'm 21 years old from Louisville, Kentucky. I'm stoked to be back here and win uh, regionals again at the Malibu Riders Experience East. Bryce Gray, I'm wakeboarder from Australia. I just won the fourth round of the Malibu Riders Experience. Hi, I'm Holly White. I'm from New South Wales, Australia. I'm 16 years old and I'm stoked to have won the junior women's division at Wu-Town Wakefest. Merrick Freitag, I'm 40 from Shrewsbury, Mass. I'm stoked to take the win in the veterans division. What's up, it's Massimo Ferretti. We're out here at the Malibu Riders Experience at the Wu-Town Wakefest and uh, just stoked to be out here. How's it going guys? Parker Siegley here on the Golden Mark Podcast. Uh, we're out here in uh, Wu-Town for the Wu-Town Wakefest. Uh, yeah, it was an awesome weekend. The wake was huge and everyone killed it, so had fun this weekend out here. Emma Wing here at uh, Wu-Town Wakefest in Worcester. Yeah, it's been an awesome weekend for the Malibu Rider Experience. We had so many riders here and uh, so many new people coming in to compete for the first time. It's been so great. Everyone's super awesome and we've had the best weather ever. What's going on? JD Webb here. Uh, we just finished up the Wu-Town Wake Fest. It was a great day. Uh, I was stoked to take the W. Um, all the riders went out and killed it. And uh, glad to be out here just having a good time. Kobe France, second week in a row here in the Malibu Boats Rider Experience. It was awesome contest. The area is super nice. The site's awesome. 
Uh, the wake was super big today. It was like one of the biggest wakes I've ever ridden. It was, uh, it was good fun. Ended up riding all right and uh, doing well in the Junior Pro event, so I'm stoked. Uh, my name is Mark Potawondo. I'm the organizer of Wu-Town Wake Fest. I want to thank uh, Malibu Boats and the WWA for participating and uh, making a joint event at the uh, collaboration with the Rider Experience. And uh, we hope to see you back at Wu-Town Wake Fest July 14th, 15th, 16th in 2017. GoPuck is a mountable, compact, durable, and portable rapid charging battery. The technology behind GoPuck started in the indie car racing industry, and now they're bringing their passion about light, fast, and powerful products to the world of action sports. GoPuck allows you to stay connected, capture priceless moments, and most importantly, enjoy mobile freedom. The GoPuck can hold up to five rapid charges. If you know me, you know I don't go anywhere without mine. GoPuck is available at Performance Ski and Surf or online at GoPuck.com. Use promo code MANO2016 for an extra 20% off at GoPuck.com. That's GoPuck.com. Presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast with the noise of the north, Dano the Mano. Well, well, well. <laughs> JB. Finally, the Bartman has come back to Orlando. What's up, Jeff Barton? You know, it's definitely been a long time since I've been in Orlando with a microphone in my hand, and uh, it's also been equally as long getting to work alongside you. So what's up, Dano? <laughs> yeah, man. Dude, I'm, I'm stoked to have you here, the Golden Mike Podcast. Uh, you're a guy I've been thinking about uh, having on since I got started, I think two and a half years ago. I, I, you're one of the first people I called and told about this thing. You're a guy, you've been, you've been a part of the industry for so long. So for, for some of the folks who may have uh, never heard of you or, or whatever, uh, why do you think I'm having you on this podcast today? Maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, who you are and, and some of the things that you've done in the industry and that'll kind of set us up for the rest of this conversation. You know, I truly think that you have me here, Dano, for real, because I'm one of those lucky, fortunate people out there who had the opportunity in life to make an impact in an industry based, I mean, my athleticism was one thing, and I think I've had a, a little bit of success, uh, comparatively speaking to the people we've covered through the years. My my athletic level is not at, at, at the level of, of a Danny Harf, an Eric Ruck, a Mozzie, all these guys. But dude, I was a stoked wakeboarder who back in the 90s had a passion for a sport and I had an opportunity in life and I went for it and I got a front row to the sport that I absolutely loved and I got to participate in its development and I was just honored to have that opportunity. It, you know, Ultimately, I was living in San Diego back in the mid 90s and I uh, got into wakeboarding. You know, it's funny enough. I mean, I can do a quick version of this. I mean... My, my first real start getting into wakeboarding was taking it as a class at San Diego State back in 1995. It's the only it's the only college class down there that I ever got an A in. So, I mean, it was a, a, a half half point credit. Loved doing it. Began to organize a wakeboarding competition series in San Diego. Uh, and then from there, I had a great editorial opportunity. There had been one magazine in the business called Wakeboarding Magazine and a publishing firm out of the West Coast uh, called World Oceans Media. They had a um, surfing magazine, a snowboarding magazine, a bodyboarding magazine, a beach volleyball magazine, freestyle motocross, and they wanted to add wakeboarding to their mix. Um, and they just started soliciting for people who were active wakeboarders that were in the Southern California area. 
And dude, I was a stoked wakeboarder, Dano, but it was a very small pool of people to choose from that were really down with the sport out in the West Coast and certainly in Southern California. Um, it certainly wasn't the dynamic environment that, say, uh, Florida was, even the rich area of skiing that you come from. Uh, there's there's a lot of people that were involved in the toad water sports. Toad water sports in Southern California was, was a very small area. Long story short, this publishing company gave me an opportunity to come in and right out of the gate, Dano, I went from being a stoked recreational wakeboarder to being the brand new editor and director of a magazine called Launch Wakeboard Magazine. And uh, it was it was an unbelievable opportunity. I mean, I, I literally went from zero to, to 100 miles an hour in the industry in, in a single shot, and it was a really cool opportunity. I did that for three years, then made the move over to um, Orlando. Um, where I then took a position with Wakeboarding Magazine, came on as their sales, uh, one of their sales uh, members. Uh, and then after six months, I then had the second great opportunity. Uh, a fellow named Tony Smith, who'd been the editor, had decided to move on. And suddenly the editorial position of the largest publication, Wakeboarding Magazine, became available. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get that lead editorial position. And... Um, it was a great opportunity. I did that for a number of years, uh, collaterally, or should I should say collaboratively. The company that owns the magazine also owned the Pro Wakeboard Tour. And so, Dano, this is where you and I kind of intermeshed our, our professions and personalities. I had been a live, live site announcer for the Pro Wakeboard Tour for a number of years. Then I got the opportunity to do the TV um, hosting role for a decade. And that even went long beyond my departure from the editorial position in the magazine. I lived in Florida until 2001, until my, my uh, oldest daughter was born in October. We decided to move back to New Jersey to raise our family. My, my kid's mom is also from New Jersey. We decided to move home, so I gave up the editor's position, but I still had the opportunity to work in the pro wakeboarding tour scene as the TV host, I think upwards until about 2012. So that kept me very relevant in the industry. And, and, and again, Dano, the respect that I have for the opportunity as like a dude who just loved the sport to actively take a, take a, sh a hand in helping shape it and getting to go to all the pro wakeboard tour events. It was like, uh, it was the, the, the proverbial dream job, Dano. And, uh, I, hopefully it reflects looking back that I, uh, I didn't treat it as something I had coming to me, but I, I hope I reflected it as the uh, as the true honor that it was to get that opportunity. Yeah, man. Well, obviously, you've been a, a mentor of mine, somebody I've looked up to for a long time, going all the way back to watching ESPN and seeing you and hearing your voice and stuff like that. And, you know, I didn't. I didn't uh, come to Florida expecting or even thinking that I was ever going to be an announcer or be put into this position. In fact, you know, I I never expected to be traveling around. You know, I saw Eric Ruck, who I grew up with. I would watch him travel every single week, and yeah, I would think it was cool, but it was it was never even on my radar, you know. And right. uh, and and obviously, I was given that opportunity back around 2005. Uh, for myself to get behind the microphone for the first time. And from there, you and I got to work together a yeah. few times. But your career was kind of changing. You were you were going away from having to put 6 to 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day on a microphone with personality to, you know, being on for 15 minutes at a time, you know, with the, with the whole uh, – 
with the TV stuff that you were doing and everything. But I want to I, w- I want to kind of get back and, and and start from the beginning. You talked about 1995 uh, getting kind of into the whole wakeboard thing. So 1995 comes around wakeboarding. At this point, what's your background? Are you a surfer? Are you a skater? Or, or what? How do you, how do you how do you get the how do you even get involved into the wakeboarding stuff? You know, it, and I said it, it, 1995 is where it really started to take the the um, you know locomotion moving forward to what became a career. But it actually started back in 1985. Living in New Jersey, um, I was a, a, an aspiring surfer. Like I sucked at surfing, but I loved it. I like immersed myself in the culture of it. I had done the same thing with skateboarding. You know, I was that kid that was just out there with a voracious appetite, not just to participate in the sport, but to gain as much knowledge as I possibly could about uh, what the sport was. Looking at the magazines back in those days, you know, skateboarding and surfing was on TV so infrequently that I would catch it whenever it was on those things. But I just was passionate about it. Living living along the Jersey coastline, I can remember specifically in 1995 working walking into a shop called Avalon Surf, and I was greeted by this little board. It was a miniature surfboard, yellow, and it had foot straps on it and this really cool little winged keel. And I inquired, like, what is that? It's like it was a surfboard too small for the water to, to go out and surf on, on on the ocean waves. And they said, well, it's kind of like a water ski, but you're water skiing on a surfboard. And I just remember looking at it, and it was clearly meant to get air. You were clearly going to be doing jumps on it. And I remember at that point, too, I'm like, people are going to be able to do flips on that thing. I would remember seeing, like, uh, pictures and and clippings of like trick skiers specifically i always i had not admired i i wasn't drawn to water skiing but i thought trick skiing i'm like that looks really cool and when i saw this thing the scurfer i'm like okay this is a surfboard like what i'm into and people are going to be doing some gnarly tricks on it and i became hooked dano at that point and i had no access to boats i would get to do it two or three times a year literally for a decade and uh, but I always stayed passionate about always wanting to do it the next time um, I was a uh, I'd gone to school I grew up in New Jersey went to college out in, in Ohio and spent two years at a very small liberal arts school out in Ohio that I I came to find was very landlocked and I ended up taking a um, what I thought was going to be a semester break to go live with some surfer buddies out in San Diego and I turned that what was going to be a four month window of stay I lived out there for 10 years and I was following the um, just the, the surfer lifestyle, living at the beach, you know, sp- you know, sporadically attending school. And uh, and, you know, here's here's another funny one about that. I was attending San Diego State. And as I would commented, I'd gotten into it through using their their phys ed programs, you know, uh, to, to take wakeboarding classes. But before that, this is, uh, you know, funny how things come around. Um, I would take my, but before I started taking PE classes, I would take out my student loans and, uh, you know, it cost $890, I think a semester to go to school there. And you would get a check for like $4,200 in the middle of September. And every year for two successive years, when that check came, if I got that check at noon by four o'clock that afternoon, I had a new wakeboarding boat bought. I would go onto the uh, to the one ads, and I I took my college my college loan money, and I would go out and I would buy a, a boat, and I would just go wakeboarding 
all the time with my friends. Because again, it was what I was passionate about. It was, it was the equal to a kid who's going from Jersey, who's going to school in San Diego, but just chasing waves all the time. I was just chasing rides off the time. But you know, for 3000 bucks, I get these little schleppy lame boats. And then I became acquainted through, through the school with a, a place called the Mission Bay Aquatic Center. And the Mission Bay Aquatic Center, I noticed, had four brand new nautiques there. And I was kind of getting hip to what the good boat brands were. And I'm like, okay, they've got good boat brands. They so were- wait, so what was that first boat that you had? Do you even remember? Uh, oh, gosh. It, you know what? It, we used to call it the lily pad. It was a... They call the the style of boat a uh, it, just a river boat. It was an it was a sixteen and a half foot river boat with a hundred and twenty five horsepower engine on the back of it, and it was an old Chrysler outboard motor. And it ran sometimes, other times it didn't run. We bought the ski the just the mini ski pylon too. We didn't use that tethered strap that was on the 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 wheel like you you know you, you know how you tie off ropes to the back of boat, and it has that that wheel that goes back and forth. Well, we got the ski pylon. And we thought we were all that and out there. And I remember the first wakeboard I bought was a a, a Hyperlite Shapiro Pro um, from a place called Water Ski World. And, uh, you know, it's very funny, too, because ultimately um, with my integration into the wakeboarding scene, like that was uh, I and again, this is very fortunate. But that was um, the one and only time I ever bought a piece of wakeboarding equipment and now you know it's been 25 years and you know through my relationships in the industry it's been you know it's it's again i've been people have been very gracious with with making opportunities for me you know you know but again it was all born from my passion to be out there at the end of that line and to just participate in the sport that's where it all started dano i just wanted to participate i just wanted to do it and kind of from that like when you had cited you came down to Orlando you came down here obviously with a reason for the sport you're passionate about and from your passion bringing you down here you were able to cultivate another opportunity and and that's that's what happened with me as well yeah man it's uh it's it's pretty crazy how it all kind of comes around and and works out in in those fashions um so you're in San Diego and you, you got these boats okay First of all, Water Ski World, is that Mike Murphy's place out there? You know? Oh, no, he had a place that was up in uh, Long Beach, California, and I can't remember the name of it, but I but I know the Pinto. He's, he rules. Did you spend any... I had Tony Clarich out on the podcast already this oh, year. Oh, cool. Tony, so. um, when I started to get into competitive wakeboarding and I was really getting after it, the one competitive game in town was the Canyon Lake Wakeboard Series, and that was about an hour and a half away. It's up there in um, you know Canyon Lake, California, the, the, the private gated ski and wakeboarding community up there and so I went there and that's where I met guys like Mike Murphy you know legendary in, in, in foiling Tony Clarich the master of everything toad water sports and you know and I got to know the character that Tony was as well and I saw a guy I mean Tony's an example of somebody who immersed himself was totally passionate about it uh, at the same time that was also where a young kid at 13 years old named Randy Harris lived and I remember going to my first competition. I always love to tell this story, you know. I'd already known of Randy Harris's reputation. Like, you know, he was going to be the next coming. He was going to be a great one. And, you know, I was going to this competition to see this, you know, Randy Harris, this phenom rider. And I expected, I don't know if I, I expected to see some type of rock star and, and something, you know. I got to the contest. I'm like looking around and I, I can't find, I can't figure out who this kid randy harris is this this star wakeboarder 
but man, there's some little kid who's over to the side throwing, you know, these large boulder rocks close to the docks. So he was like splashing everybody. And uh, ultimately it was pointed out like that kid over there that was being somewhat of a little bit of a menace. Like that's Randy Harris. I'm like, that kid, the, the kid that everybody wants to, you know, choke and then throw into the water, that's him. And then, uh, and then he went out and rode. So 13 years old, what's your impression on Randy? Well, it was funny, too, because I had just got my editorship, or I, I started, um, uh, my editorship came about that same time with How, Launch wait, Magazine. When did Launch start? Launch started in 1996, I believe, is, is when that came out. So yeah, the summer before is when I was just getting into wakeboarding, and I'd seen Randy, and we had some mutual friends, and so like I got to meet Randy, another kid that had lived there named Sean Segrin. He lived in San Diego, and his parents had a vacation home up there at... Um, uh, at Canyon Lake. So he would go up there and, and he was the same age as Randy. So like I got to become friends with Randy um, naturally then before I became the, the editor of Launch. So that next year, the next spring is when the guys at this World Ocean Media were putting out feelers for the industry. Like who's a committed wakeboarder, you know, in, in the Southern California area. And, uh, and another card I should share with you about that as well. Like I went up, you know, Tony Finn, the the runner of the show over there at Liquid Forest, knew me because I started working at Water Ski World. He referred me up to these guys and said, hey, you might want to go with this guy. He's totally stoked and totally committed. And then, and when I went up to have my interview with these guys in Southern California that were running all these cool action sport magazines, it took us about three minutes to de uh, determine that the other three, the, the three publishers, were also dudes from Southern New Jersey. We spent 45 minutes of my interview talking about mutual friends and spots in New Jersey, didn't speak a lick about the sport of wakeboarding. And then at the end of the interview, they're like, oh, we've got somewhere else to go. We've got a meeting, so it was nice to meet you. And I'm like, we didn't even talk wakeboarding. Did, do, do I, you know, can, can we come back? And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. You've got the job. Yeah, come in next Monday. You start up next Monday. You Did know? you have any experience going into this? I literally... I had written one contest review of a, of a competition and submitted it to Wakeboarding Magazine, and it was like 300 words long. It, that was literally the entirety of my professional journalism career. Um, but again, it was just kind of like going back to what you're saying. I also, I'd had a reader's photo in Wakeboarding Magazine, but kind of making your own opportunities. like. I was reaching out to the people at Wakeboarding Magazine, letting them know, dude, I'm a way stoked guy in, in Southern California. I've got some, you know, I'm, a, I'm an English major and a poli-sci major, and I've got some writing skills. If there's anything I can do for you, I would love to be involved. So a lot of my luck has happened organically and naturally, but, but I've also made some opportunities too. All right, so JB, you're talking about being out there on the West Coast and and uh, talking about Canyon Lake. Well, we know nowadays. Well, for for anybody who kind of follows the sport, there's for a long time there's kind of been a lot of animosity in Canyon Lake between like the skiers and the wakeboarders. And if I remember correctly, although you're the, you're you're kind of a guy who's cool with everybody, and you were also a part of the pro tour when it was more than just wakeboarding, so right. you had to deal with with both sides of things. But, you know, we're sitting here in the offices of the WSIA right now and the executive director, Kevin Michael Kevko, he's one of your best friends. And we all sure. know where he started from. Right. Myself, you know where I started from. Eric Ruck, another good pal, you know where he started from. But you were a part of this era where it was definitely uh, skiers versus wakeboarders. And 
if if I remember correctly, you were kind of very very pro strong on the wakeboard side and butted heads with with skiers a little bit. Oh yeah, you know what for sure, and and I've got to definitely take ownership of that. And I you know and. and Looking back, I mean, objectivity gives you perspective uh, or perspective gives you objectivity, I might say. I was part of that culture of the Canyon Canyon Lake wakeboard scene, and that was a microcosm of the toad water sports world. And and especially for the Southern California scene, there was high-level competitive skiers that came out of that area. I think Ronnie, uh, Ronnie Barton came out of there. Uh, now, obviously, Ronnie Bischoff. Um, but there was a number of great skiers, jumpers, that trained specifically right there at uh, Canyon Lake. Conversely, you then had the Randy Harrises, you had Melissa Marquitt's older siblings, Tommy and Charlie, uh, Ricky Gonzalez. Um, you had the guys who made some of the initial high pylons and, and ballast bags called Air Boom. You had guys that were big, well, the, the sky skiers kind of kept to themselves, but you had these kind of powerhouse personalities in these two different sports um, that were close to each other. They were also in an action sports culture that was very close to skiing and snowboarding. And the relationship between skiers and snowboarders had their uh, discontent for a decade before wakeboarding and water skiing ever collided. But again, Canyon Lake was less than an hour away from some epic snowboard and skiing hills. Mm -hmm. So everybody was very relevant in the, uh, there's skiers here and snowboarders over there um, in that culture. And then it all of a sudden became like, wakeboarding became more popular at Canyon Lake, a place that had been run by the water skiing community for years. And, you know, it was, uh, here comes the younger brother getting bigger and becoming menacing. And here's the, old, uh, I shouldn't say old, but there's the, the water skiing community here that wants to stand their ground. And it was just, it was designed for crisis, I would say. Um, and it would happen all the time where uh, there was really, there was one main lake to ride at Canyon Lake, and then there was a tournament ski lake. And then out the back and, and around the corner would be the spot where the wakeboarders would go. And, and ultimately, it was almost like they met, uh, you know, you'd almost go around the corner to, to go to the wakeboarding spot, but, it, it, but it, it had an intersecting point. It was like a big V. And if a wakeboarding boat went too deep down the channel, it would send rollers down the water skiers' uh, course run. Conversely, if the water skiers didn't slow down before they got to the entranceway to the wakeboarding area, it would send rollers. And it was just that kind of catty stuff that went back and forth. Um, but it was definitely a prominent thing. And then the, the publishing company that I worked for, uh, they were smaller titles in all the subcategories they were in. Uh, for surfing, they had a magazine called Wave Action, and they were all about young, upcoming riders. Plow was also, I mean, there was Snowboarder Snowboarding as the big magazine titles. And, and this magazine's company, uh, almost the credo was like, be the obnoxious little brother. Um, the bigger publications have to be politically correct. They've got to, they've got to, you know, play things on the straight and narrow, like snowboarders, snowboarding, surfer, surfing. They had the big jobs of, of providing solid journalism. There was room on on the on the publishing map for the cheeky, obnoxious, smart alecky little brother, and that's what all of our titles were. You know, 
in, in every one of our sports. Like we, we covered the sport, we tried to be progressive, but we were also total wise asses the whole time. And one element to totally be a wise ass about was like, man, we'll, we'll do this. We'll take up the skier versus wakeboarder thing and we'll champion the whole wakeboarder thing. I remember I wrote a great <laughs> editorial. I mean, I'd like to think it was the, if you say so yourself, right? You know that was that that reflected a uh, an interaction. I remember watching Ricky Gonzalez and and a, and one of the skiers have this interaction that was just funny. And I kind of retold the story because it was like you know win one for the wakeboarder good guys. And I'd been in the boat one time, and and again we were we were riding that spot where there was the intersecting point for the for the two courses of the skiing and the wakeboarding. And Ricky had been pulling randy or somebody and had gone too far down and sent some rollers down the ski course and some guys who were established skiers came over and uh started giving ran giving ricky grief and ricky is like saying okay and when ricky was not really being you know he, ricky was just giving one word answers it seemed to be frustrating the skiers and the skiers kind of stepped up their verbal aggression and uh and Ricky just kept saying, okay. And then the, the guys finally pushed Ricky to the point where, and you know, Ricky, he's way more tattooed up now, but you know, back when he was in his late twenties tattoo, I mean, he's a physical specimen now. And back then, like he looked like a badass. And so he, he they got to the, to the breaking point and Ricky stands up and just rips the two of them a new ass. And then ultimately it was, the guys were kind of intimating that this, this could get physical and Ricky took it up and Ricky was like, I'll come over there on your boat right now. Just bring your boat over a little closer. I'll come over there. You want to settle it with being physical? I'll come over there and jump on the boat with both of you guys. Both. And he just kept saying, both of you guys. And uh, these guys backed down so thoroughly. And so we told the story of that. And, uh, and again, um, it, it, it was another one of the examples of what happened in our world. And I ultimately took it to a broad-based audience. Well, let's let's talk about events now. Um, you've been doing this for for such a long time, and you had to start uh, being a part of events somewhere around that uh, mid '90s area. Did, when did when was the first time you had the opportunity to get on the microphone and call an event? And what was that event, if you can remember? You know, I, it would have been um, <laughs> it would the first time was out in Dallas, Texas, in 1997, and I'd been the editor of the competitive magazine called Launch. And uh, the world, the WWA was uh, a property that was uh, supported and produced by uh, World Sports and Marketing. And uh, I remember, um, we, and again, being the young cheeky magazine, we were also run on a shoestring budget. So I remember wanting to compete out at, um, out at Nationals. And I think I reached out to Terry Dorner, uh, who was then running the show over there for World Sports and Marketing. And I said, hey, um, I'm Jeff Barton from Launch Magazine. We're going to, you know, cover your story. Do you think I could get free entry to your competition out there? You know, being a young schleppy dude. And I think I think the decision was made like, yeah, you can come be in our competition, but you're going to give us some work. Why don't you get on the microphone and relieve some of our guys from time to time? And at that point, it was um, Keith Allen, who's a mentor of mine, and Bruce Robson, who, who also showed me the way and, and, you know, helped me hone my chops. So those guys were influential and and i hadn't gotten into it wanting to do the announcing thing either but when i got up there and talking about it, i'm like oh this is fun this is kind of rock starish people are listening i got a microphone i'm down with this well first of all like how does that 
How does that, uh, with you doing launch and, and uh, World Sports and Marketing running Wakeboarding Magazine, I can't imagine them being stoked for you to show up and say that you're going to be covering their event as well in your publication. Well, I think from a World Sports and Marketing perspective, it's all about getting as many images that were out there. So having another magazine that was also active in the um, industry saying, hey, we're going to cover your, 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 your event. I mean, I don't think you'd see that happen these days, though. Well, I well. I think uh, Alliance Multimedia and um, and uh, Wakeboarding Magazine certainly do seemingly keep dynamic from what events are covered and what events are supported. Um, keep keep those things separated. And uh, but again, just like any good event company, um, you know, it was Terry Dorner's prerogative to want to get as many images out there. So by letting them know that we were doing a story, we were we were doing, you know, that that's good for them. It's good for with their business partners that they're, you know, like they say, there's no advertising like editorial coverage. So they were getting editorial coverage in another magazine. Uh, I'm sure, you know, the the guys at Wakeboarding Magazine probably weren't all that stoked. Uh, I remember we, we came one time, uh, Wakeboarding Magazine had sponsored um, uh, board stock, the first the either the first or the second board stock up there at Lake Shasta. And that was when we debuted Launch Magazine at board stock. We totally came in and guerrilla marketed at Wakeboarding Magazine's event to to their people. I remember we, we connected with a uh, company called Thruster, who were they were also kind of like some counterculturalists in the industry and kind of badasses. And they were like, yeah, you totally, you put your banner on our boat out here. You give your magazines away from our boat. No problem at all. And we just straight out of the gate became a thorn in the side of Wakeboarding Magazine. And so, uh, you know, there was just, it was the nature of the beast to be, again, the, the smart alecky little brother. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break so I can make one more announcement about my friends over at Lead Wake. Lead Wake bags are designed with wake surfers and wakeboarders in mind. Lead Wake bags can be stacked and placed in tight spaces. Custom designed, these bags are easy to shift around your boat and will help clean up any wake without having to fill water bags or move your friends around. Best part, lead wake bags ship free anywhere inside the USA. Find out more at leadwake.com. Also, for the next month, the Golden Mike Podcast and Jared over at Lead Wake are giving you the opportunity to win 500 pounds of lead wake bags free. Here's how to enter. First, find Lead Wake on Facebook and like their page. Then send a direct message to me, Daniel Lamano, through the Golden Mike Podcast Facebook page with either a photo of or a verbal description of your jankiest bell setup ever. You'll have until November 14th to send in your submission. Myself and the team at Lead Wake will choose our favorite submission and announce the winner on the November 16th episode of the Golden Mike Podcast. The winner will receive 10 50-pound Lead Wake bags shipped to their front door. Don't miss out on this awesome opportunity. Submit now and keep those fingers crossed. Now let's get back to the conversation with JB, Jeff Barton, here on the Golden Mike Podcast. What I always kind of thought was interesting, if I if I remember this correctly, I, I remember Bill McCaffrey being a part of Wakeboarding Magazine back in the old days, and then you being a part of Launch. Uh, did, did you move to... Were you a part of Launch when it transitioned into Alliance, or or how did that whole 
thing go down? Ultimately, it was very funny because there was a, a bunch of moving parts that had taken place that really just kind of happened naturally along the way. Actually, I think it actually turned into another name before it was right. Blue it, Torch it, or it'd something. Been, it'd be, yes. When I was at the company that was called World Oceans Media that owned Launch Wakeboard Magazine, as I said, we had a bunch of action sports titles. That was when the dot-com industry was coming into its own. People were becoming very aware of like this big thing called the internet. This goes back to 1998, 1999. And they had been trying for a couple of years to put back, to put together this conglomerate company that would, um, and they had a three-tiered marketing strategy, which became Blue Torch. They had, um, magazines that would support the website that would support the television program and it was slow evolving and at the meantime while while they were trying to get the blue torch model up and running the magazines were being run on this shoestring budget which to me made it appear as though maybe the the magazines were going to be dying and uh, they weren't going to be around anymore and maybe this goal of this blue torch thing is not going to be realized and uh i my uh, my kid's mom, whom I was engaged to at the time, had a professional opportunity to move to Orlando, and I'd been working for this struggling title out of you know Southern California, and I was I was like, you know what, this is the perfect time to move to Orlando. My job here is seemingly going to be evaporating. I should try to jump onto the wakeboarding magazine bandwagon. I moved out here, jumped onto the wakeboarding magazine bandwagon. Uh, Bill McCaffrey had been an associate editor of Wakeboarding Magazine that was based out on the West Coast. Uh, and then the deal came through for Blue Torch to take, to take hold. And they got their financing and they came out swinging with a big time, you know, three-tiered publishing company. And, and they, it was unbelievable. And they were looking for an editor and they found Bill McCaffrey. So Bill McCaffrey immediately took over and became the editor of Blue Torch. And what, it was... What would, what would have been if you would have ended up staying at with those guys? And do you, do you ever kind of regret that you made that move? Or Well, I, I've got to say, I, I have to tip my cap to Bill McCaffrey because uh, he, he showed a resiliency two years later that I don't know if I would have had in me. Um, you know, the I moved down to Florida and took a sales position with Wakeboarding Magazine, obviously vacating my editor's position with what was then a flailing magazine, but people were starting to get hip that there was the potential for this new Blue Torch thing to exist. They were just waiting on financing from the industry. It blew up huge. I mean, these guys all of a sudden went from being a small publishing company to a legit several hundred person entity. They were doing websites, they were doing TV shows, they were doing magazines, and all was meant to enter and change with one another and support one another. It was a brilliant strategy. But the the thing, it it they blew up very quickly and it took a lot of money to get these things going. And ultimately after two years, it might not even have been two years, um, their budgets ran out. It might have been only been a year and a half. These guys had gone to a trade show in San Diego. You know, Blue Torch, biggest thing in the industry. We're kicking ass. This is so awesome. Trade show. They did their trade show booth. And then, as I understand it, they showed up to their offices on Mondays, padlocks on the door. Like, it was dead. It was done. Like, they're like, sorry, Blue Torch is no more. And, um, you know, Bill McCaffrey bought... Uh, the easiest way to say it, and I don't mean to, I, I'm sure Bill would have a, a different way to, to depose this, but um, Bill 
bought the rights to the magazine. You know, Launch had become, Launch Wakeboard Magazine had become in this media house, Blue Torch Wakeboard Magazine. And, and Bill McCaffrey started that, ran it, did an awesome job doing it. And then all of a sudden found himself out there on the free agent market. And he, along with Tony Smith and some other people, decided, you know what? Let's let's grab the rights to what we have. Let's get our mailing list and let's make our own magazine. Great name, Alliance. And um, man, for more than, I think, what are they, 13 or 14 years deep, have totally kicked ass and have been one of the greatest assets our industry has ever had, actually. Yeah, no doubt. It's uh, obviously... You, you look through the pages of Wakeboard, you look through the pages of, of Alliance, everybody's doing their best out there, but uh, but obviously Alliance has their own way of, of doing things, and uh, it's, I don't know, Alliance always seemed to be the, the guy, the, the ones like kind of pulling for the uh, maybe not as big of name guys, and you know, always had that, that love for the West Coast, and yeah. you know, I, I don't know, earlier, it, it always seemed to me like the, like Florida... The East Coast was where all the super, super duper tech riders were at. The guys who could do, you know, crazy flips and spins. But the guys in the West Coast were just really honing in on, uh, you know, the grabs and the style and the culture of, of wakeboarding. It never seemed like it was as big over on the West Coast as it is here in Orlando. But at the, at the same time, there was always something special about it. I think Alliance definitely helped to kind of spotlight that and bring that out to everybody. I definitely agree with you, and in fact, you know, with what the with what the the presence was, and and uh, the positioning next to the Pro Wakeboard Tour, and and uh, Wakeboarding Magazine and the Pro Tour being business partners, um, and then being right here in the epicenter of Orlando, guys who were the better competitive riders certainly were able to get on the on the radar a little more easily, and because of those previously established competitive relationships. Guys with, or, you know, people with the wakeboarding companies or boat companies would certainly want to spotlight some guys who have proven levels of success. And really, back in the day, I mean, one of the greatest ways to quantify somebody, it still is today, is what your competitive riding was all about. And it was almost, almost the only game, the only way to do it. When I think Launch did a did a good job of of undiscover of discovering uncovered talent or, or covered up talent. I think Bill definitely had a better eye, better vision, and and it has that that essence for what good riding was all about. Like I was a stoked young rider trying to just be a part of something, and and I was very proud of it. I became good. Bill grew up in the culture of snowboarding and skating, and Bill knew what good style board riding was all about. And I think Bill has been the best guy to ever be in that editorial and publishing position to like know like this is what good riding is about. This is what we want to show. We want to show you know just and and by having the the uh, direction that they've they, they've definitely made their own identity. They're definitely unique and just like you said, they don't look like a second running of wakeboarding magazine. They look like a first running of Alliance every time out. You definitely you could pick it up without seeing the cover and you could read inside and you would just be able to tell by the tenor and tone and and even the content of the photographs, you'll know specifically if you're looking at a wakeboarding magazine or an Alliance magazine. And I think, uh, you know, Bill had the difficult task of creating a unique and new identity. And they've done a great job. Corey Murata, all the boys over there. Garrett Cortez, love what that guy has done. I mean, geez, that guy is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely. They've, they've carved out their own thing out there. And, and you got to appreciate that. Um, I want to, you know... 
you were an announcer for su- such a long time. You were just like me, going to events every single weekend and and running around with the boys. And, I, and I'm not going to lie. I've mellowed out quite a bit. And I think <laughs> part part of what got me to where I am today was the fact that I was the first man up. You know, I was the first guy on site, you know, behind that microphone. Oh. And I was the last person to bed because I had to wait till every party was over to make sure that I was a part of it all. Yeah. Um, I've been honored enough to, to, to run around with the biggest names in the sport uh, at the weirdest hours of the day and night. <laughs> and I I know that you have been right there. And, yeah. and uh, you were a part of uh, you were a part of kind of helping push Pointless, the Pointless Posse guys sure. like Parks and Danny Harf and Chad Sharp and Eric Ruck and Shane Bonifay and 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 making these guys just look and sound like rock stars at events and and um could we say that they were the um that some of those guys were like probably uh the best examples for maybe little kids uh in those days i don't necessarily <laughs> i don't necessarily know about it but i think at the same time it was a time in wakeboarding where where we kind of needed that that identity or whatever but i also think that pointless was maybe the last of you know, like that rock star wakeboarder life. So I think that we still see some guys trying to portray that, but I think Pointless was really the last of of that whole, you know, uh, getting away with being able to, to rock all night and still run that podium. Yeah, and I think you're definitely right there. You know, back again when I was in the editorial position, the, the, the leading the charge over wakeboarding, and it's all about creating heroes. And I think as whether you're on the microphone, Dana, whether you're doing it in print, whether you're doing it on television, we're storytellers. And dude, who wants to listen to a crappy story? Like we've got to make good stories. We got to make, we got to make things that people are drawn to. And part of that is, is heroes. Like people who are into sports love to know who the dude is on top, who's like the one to look up to. And for me, Parks Bonifay was it. I mean, we had great guys, Sean Murray, Darren Shapiro, Ruck, uh, Danny Harf was coming into his own. I mean, Kobe Mikasich, so many guys. Parks was doing his own, like, Parks just had such a unique vibe and was just so on top of stuff that I always really respected it. And what really got it there, I've got a picture in my home, and gosh, I wish I could get this to you. It, it was, it, it slightly superseded the Pointless Posse, but it was when they, they were just starting to form. Here was Parks, who was considered a great free rider and just a devastating competitive rider. And I went over to his house one day down there when he still lived on Lake Alfred with his mom. And we go out back. And I mean, he was only like 16 or 17 at the time, maybe. Um, And we go out back. And there by his dock is the most janky Sanford and Son thing I'd ever seen. It was these two crappy, you know, dual pipes that were that were at about a 45 degree angle going up there was a gap then there was a floating dock that had not one but two picnic tables stacked on top of each other and then a rail up on top of it and then just to drop that back down into the water the thing just it just reeked of consequences dano is the way i always talk about it and i'm like and here's parks He's all this. He's this competitive success. He's this X Games champion. He, he, you know, this is, he's the guy to beat everywhere. And he's willing to kill himself because this, this had no relevance 
in in competitive wakeboarding what i was seeing this this gap jump to picnic table stand i mean there was like cinder blocks that were holding up the table it was such again sanford and son crap it was so unsafe and i just remember and i remember i got this picture of of parks uh, and ultimately at the highest point you're probably like 15 feet up in the air and and it's it was again two picnic tables stacked on stacked on top, and it wasn't a handrail actually. It was one of those orange traffic median barriers that clearly had been stolen as well, which is also kind of funny and lends itself to the photo. And there's Parks up on top of it, just backlipping the crap out of it, and the whole thing looks like the most dicey. Uh, both well balanced and unbalanced thing, and I remember like, this is the dude willing to put his—he's putting his career on the line, and he's not even looking at it like that. He's looking at it as some seventeen-year-old kid who's going to make something in his backyard, and it's going to be cool. And I was just like, that clicked with me. I'm like, this is awesome. It was a Matt Malloy photo. It was awesome. And shortly thereafter, then then these guys all got their their digital cameras, Dano. That was really what brought it together for the Pointless Posse. These guys would get these digital chipped chat, uh, cameras, and they would videotape everything they did each day. Eat on and off the water. On and off the water. And then it would be up on the internet that night, or they would be, it would be shipped around. So again, the, the, the main media of exchange back in that day had been the magazine coverage, uh, seeing it on TV in the competition format, or you had to wait annually for the new videos to come out to see what the state of the sport was. All of a sudden, you had nine of the biggest movers and shakers in the sport that were going out building these new contraption, these new rails, these new features, and sessioning it, and then in real time getting it out there to the public. It was revolutionary. It was awesome. All right, JB. I know we've been spinning for a long time. We can go for a heck of a lot longer, but uh, I'm gonna just get. I want to get a story from you. Um, we talked a little bit about a little bit ago about. Uh, being a part of the mix and running around all night long. And was there ever a time you like spent uh, where you were out with an athlete or something like that, or spent an evening and you just are thinking to yourself, it's bedtime. How is this guy going to come out tomorrow and do anything? And then they come out and they put on an amazing show, some crazy, like something crazy that you've seen uh, in your time out there that just blew your mind. Um, You know, it was very funny because um both times when I got my editorial positions, it was very funny that I got accepted into the editorship's position. And then within four days time, I left for a trip over to Japan each time. Um, the first time was with uh, Parks Bonifay, Zane Schwank, Sean Murray. Can't remember if there was a fourth guy that was with us as well. Um, and that's when I became the editor of Launch. And that's when I went from being a uh, just a random wakeboarder dude who was trying to mooch rides uh, behind boats to actually being a member of the industry. And I went on this trip with Zane, Parks, and Sean. And Sean was very reserved and was, you know, a good dude. But Parks and Zane were out of control. And, I mean, this Parks was young. I mean, Parks was like 16 or 17 years old, and we were overseas. And I went from being some dude who had seen Randy Harris like ride one time live, never met these people before, and I'm going all over Japan, and it was just a, a just a drunken shit show. I remember we were in this small town called Hamanako Bay, and it was like 11:30 at night, 
And there's Zane running around this Japanese neighborhood, but naked, just wasted, jumping off bridges, drawing all kinds of attention to himself. Parks was doing some other funny stuff as well. Um, and I just remember thinking like, I only knew these guys from what their athletic prominence was. Like, I didn't know that like this type of show went on at all. And I was really happy to find out that it did because I was, you know, could could enjoy a good good beverage too. Um, but that was that was a pretty funny like welcome to the business, welcome to the dance. And Parks has been a part of many of those late night laughers, um, probably the best of which not to you know share on here. <laughs> um, all right, so let's chat a little bit about uh, before we finish here. Let's chat a little bit about what's going on with you these days. You're obviously not announcing as many uh, wakeboard contests. I. I I'll get the occasional photo from somebody out on the East Coast saying that, uh, that do you know this Jeff Barton guy or have you ever heard of JB or whatever, this guy crushes it. Um, so I, I know you're still doing an event here or there with wakeboarding, but um, the, the most recent stuff that I've seen from you is I was um, scrolling through Instagram a few weeks ago and I caught some stuff from the Red Bull Flugtag. Yeah. And um, I know that I, I was lucky enough to announce one Flugtag uh, four or five years ago as a national Flugtag, and there was like five of these events going on all around the, the U.S. So obviously you're you're the voice of the Flugtag, and from what I understand, the voice of the Red Bull Air Races. What, what else is keeping you busy right now? Well, and I would say with the Flugtags, the Flugtags, there's many of them around, and there's quite a few different announcers, so I'm definitely not like the go-to guy there for that. Uh, but I am fortunate enough to get a bunch of gigs through Red Bull, both doing uh, soapbox derbies, the Flugtags, some of their satirical events, but then for some of their more serious events, like I, I do their um, North American stop of their cliff diving series. Uh, I do two of their Red Bull Air Races, the Airplane Racing Series. And that's just a great opportunity to be a part of like productions that are of that such vast nature and international level. And that's super cool. I, uh, I announced for a couple of different running series. Uh, the North Face puts on a running series. They do seven events. It travels through North America. Um, and uh, and then I, you know, I do some other things, some, some other announcing gigs that I pick up along the way. But Dan, I've got to say too that it all really stems from my passion as a board sport athlete and specifically wakeboarding. I mean, I definitely suffer from self-inflicted underemployment. Um, that being said, at 46 years old, um, I wakeboard more now than I ever have in my life. I fortunately have a great friend who's just moved home, Michelle McAtee. Hey, girl. And uh, she just brought her X45 back up to New Jersey. She's passionate about wake surfing. I've got another buddy at home named Eric. I also have this young uh, competitive girl named Kira Lewis, 10-year-old, nationally, internationally competitive athlete, all from southern New Jersey. Like, we've got this pocket of stoked athletes that are just down for riding all the time. And we have such a marginalized window. <clears throat> we can ride from May until October in our area. And I just love it, Dano, that I almost, you know, professionally structure myself to be available to still wakeboard all I can. Like the passionate surfer who, 
you know, who might paint houses, but if the swell is good, he bells to go surf. Sure. Like I do what I can because I love wakeboarding and I love the opportunity to get out there and do it. I also sling a mean drink too. So if you come by, you know, Southern New Jersey, come on by the town tavern. I make a badass drink. Yeah, and a little bit of wrestling announcing as well. I'm very jealous about that. You know what? That is all grins and giggles stuff. That has no financial income associated with it. But yeah, I've worked with this company now for 12 years in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia. These guys, they do... Um, they do, they're a not-for-profit group. They do fundraisers, fundraising wrestling events. It all started, they were baggage handlers for then U.S. Airways. One of their buddies at work got hurt in an uninsured situation away from the job. They had to have a fundraiser. Rather than doing a beef and beer, they had this, hey, we should do a fake wrestling show. And it's been going on for 15 years. So I used to be Maddie Longwood, uh, but now I've taken on my new wrestling persona of Mustang Johnson. <laughs> and uh, I've got my kids in on the act as well. My son gets dressed up in a suit and tie, brings a hot blonde with him, Jen Stanchek. And uh, he acts as the dapper dabber, just dabbing his way to success. And then my youngest daughter, who's eight years old, came up with her own moniker, Little Red Rotten Hood, and she's just a little badass. It's awesome. Dude, it's so cool, man. And I, I want to thank you so much. Bro, I know we're going to be seeing more of you on the East Coast because we did a Malibu rider experience with the WWA up in Boston this past summer, and we had close to a hundred competitors. Uh, we had over a hundred wake surfers on Sunday. Wow! And uh, I know that the East Coast and the Northeast, especially, is 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 uh, really calling for for more toad water sports up in that area. So, uh, ho hoping that when we do get back up in that area, we can get you and your entire crew to be a part of it. I know Kira Lewis and her family. Yeah, have for sure. Truly been stepping it up into the game and everything. JB. Uh, you on social media anywhere on the internet you want people to follow you or check out what you're doing you got anything you know not that much i put silliness up you know my latest adventure dano is trying to ride as many roller coasters in north america in one year as i can i just rode my 100th one the other day it's in lieu of dating dan i'm a dano i'm i'm no longer into that i'm all about the self-sufficient roller coaster riding these days but you know i'm not really trying to project anything out there i'm just trying to uh, have fun with life so no twitter no instagram i really don't i i think I'm JB underscore Jeff Barton on Instagram. Uh, I only just put frivolity up there. I'm, you know, again, as I said a moment ago, I'm, I suffer from being tragically underemployed. And again, I'm the reason for that right here. Right, right. It right. ain't the economy. It's this guy. I, I think I know a little bit about that myself. <laughs> but hey, you know what? It's it's hard to it's hard to take a job in the Philippines with two weeks notice if you have a real job. You Amen, know? brother. So, oh, why you got a job for me over in the Philippines? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Maybe. I I finally got the world's the Wake Park World. It's coming up. You know, it's another thing that I love, Dano, too, is, uh, and it's related to the wakeboarding world. Like, we're leaving right from here, and this is a money-making adventure. I'm in a fantasy football league called the Pointless Fantasy Football League with Shane, Parks, Harf, Grubb, um, uh, Kevin Michaels in it, Tony Smith, Chad Sharp, um, did I say D block? A bunch of a bunch of the pointless board. There's 16 of us, and we're having our fantasy football draft in about three hours. And it's Paul O'Brien, the owner of Ronix, is in it. Um, so it's it's just it is just talking mayhem, and I love it. Yeah, no doubt. JB, thanks a ton, man. Thanks, Dano. You. Yeah. 
Woodrow's is a sunglass company based in Central Florida that manufactures frames from wood and other sustainable materials. With an infrastructure built on a passion for action sports, life on the water, and the love for the great outdoors, there's no doubt Woodrow's handcrafted wooden and sustainable eyewear will fit your lifestyle. Use my promo code MANO30 and you'll get an additional 30% off your entire order. Once again, that's promo code MANO, M-A-N-O-3-0 at Woodrow's.com for 30% off everything. That's W-O-O-D-R-O-Z-E dot com. C4 belts are the newest wakeboarding accessory to hit the market. Made of premium TPE thermoplastic, C4 belts are waterproof and backed by a lifetime guarantee. Available in multiple colors and designs, C4 allows you to mix and match straps and buckles to create your own unique color combinations. C4 stands for choose your color, choose your cause. Use code MANO2016 at C4Belts.com for 10% off your purchase. Look good, do good. C4 Belts. The Golden Mike Podcast is back with the noise of the north, Dano the Mano, presented by Sea Deck Marine Products. It's always fun to converse with the conversational one himself, good old JB, Jeff Barton. JB's been so deep within the industry for so long and has always been respected by his peers. We could have sat there for three more hours talking if we wanted to, and I'm sure JB could have probably pulled out more incriminating, or we'll say embarrassing stories of so many names from all of the years. Needless to say, I was satisfied with what we got, and I hope you guys all were too. Okay, upcoming events, Halloween weekend, I'll be in the Philippines at CWC Wake Park for the WWA Wake Park Worlds and the final stop of the WWA Wake Park World Series. Then November 19th up in Chicago announcing the Illinois State Yo-Yo Contest. If you guys are interested in having me announce or commentate or appear at your next event or if you have any questions in general, be sure to shoot me an email, Mike at noiseofthenorth.com or message me through the Golden Mike Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter at TheDanoTMano and at the Golden underscore Mike on Instagram at DanoTMano and be sure to like and share the Golden Mike podcast on Facebook. One more thank you to Jeff Barton and now a few shout outs to the sponsors and folks behind the scenes. Thank you to SeaDeck Marine Products, Performance Ski and Surf, Woodrow Sustainable Optics, Boulder Boats, Go Puck, Hungry Boards, SUP, Malibu Boats, Logos That Pop, C4 Belt, Rockstar Energy, Lead Wake, Jenna Hamill on the web, and Rich Walsh on audio. Well, that's going to do it for today's show, guys. Appreciate you all for tuning in and listening. I'm the Noise of the North. I'm Daniel the Mano, and you can hear me next time once again on the Golden Mike Podcast.